Welcome to the RD2B podcast. Each week we sit down with a different registered dietitian nutritionist to showcase the diversity of opportunity in the dietetics profession. Our aim is to dismantle the notion that there is a traditional career path. I'm Carl Barnes, the registered dietitian behind the scenes of RD2B. And I am Jenna Warnock, the RD2B host. Our RD guests share their stories, career paths, and advice to help students like us succeed in the profession. Welcome back to another week of the RD2B podcast. I'm your host, Jenna, and today we're super excited to continue the ball rolling with a bunch of uh, supervised practice program features. And this week, I'm super excited to sit down with uh, Dr. Kelly Martin. She's the assistant director at SUNY Oneana's master's degree in nutrition and dietetics. And what's super unique about their program that we're going to dive into is that they're a one-year program where you can knock out both your graduate degree and supervised practice all in one go. But uh, talking with Dr. Martin and stuff, we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty of it. But thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Martin, to talk about your program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jenna. I'm excited yeah. to do this and talk to yeah. everybody about our program. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah, definitely. And I have to say that I'm a little selfish on this one because I'm also interested in learning about your program and things like that. So I know me and a bunch of other viewers will also be interested. But first, to kind of set the stage with where you are at and just kind of how you got your role in SUNY Oneonta's program. So can you explain to us how you got to your current position there? Yeah, sure. And it fits probably nicely into what we're going to talk about today because I'm a graduate of the program and that's kind of how I got my job, to be honest with you, crowd alumni. So I was an undergraduate student at SUNY Oneana. We have an undergraduate DPD program here. And then I went into the master's degree program. At that time, it was just an MSDI program um, because the future education model didn't exist. Um, but shortly after graduation, I started working at a variety of different places, outpatient, long-term care. I was an office for aging dietitian, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to school. So I went um, to another online program, the doctorate in clinical nutrition program through Rutgers University, and um, was able to get a job teaching in the master's program at Oneana uh, shortly after starting that. So I've been a professor in the program for, this will be my 10th year starting in August, and I've been uh, in the role of assistant director for five years. And so whenever you um, came in to this program, did it transition to an FEM or was it still an MSDI? So when I first started as a uh, teacher in the program, it was an MSDI program. And we just transitioned to an FEM program. We are starting year four currently. So our students that started in May 2023 are fourth cohort in our FEM program. Awesome. And so what made your program decide to transition to that FEM format? I'm sure 2024, potentially that old thing. But yeah, if you could just explain deeper. Yeah, I think, you know, being part of that transition, there is a couple of reasons behind it. One is at SUNY Oneana, we've always tried to really be on the forefront of dietetics education, really trying to be sure that we are, you know, one of those programs that really is stepping up to do what the next thing is going to be. And, and that was future education model. And as part of that, one of the draws for us is that we're able to expand our offerings in terms of the students that we can offer acceptance to. You know, now we can look at students that don't necessarily have that verification statement. And I'm sure other future education model program directors have talked about that on the podcast. You know, that's a great benefit because we get these people who might be career changers who are, you know, really great students and interested in dietetics, but, you know, they don't have the time to do a whole nother bachelor's degree. So if they're able to complete those prereqs and get to us, um, you know, that's a, a great avenue for, for us to get some of those, those students. So I think it's kind of twofold, you know, being on that forefront, but also being sure we can service as many students as, as possible. Yeah, definitely. And I I'm know one thing that's been discussed just in dietetics is kind of limiting the barriers and increasing like access for students. And that means tailoring to students with a lot of different educational backgrounds. And 
Um, I'm glad that you kind of mentioned and like kind of segued into that direction because I know students are probably interested in the application process because future education models have like popped up, you know, recently with those 2024 changes to accommodate as many students as possible. But first, if a student is looking at your program and they see like, you know, on paper, it's a 12 month condensed online future education model, you know, just everything bundled into one little package. Before a student maybe, say, like researches the application process or applies to your program, how would a student determine whether or not this condensed type of program is right for them? Good question. I think in a more general sense, if a student is looking to do our program or, you know, is, is interested perhaps in a program that's a condensed, you know, format, a thing to really consider, of course, is the time that you're going to have to devote to the program. You really are, in order to complete the master's degree and the experiential learning hours within that one-year time frame, you are essentially a full-time worker, you know, during the, the, the work week, doing those on-site hours, and then you're a full-time graduate student at night and on the weekends doing your coursework and your assignments. So, there is little time for other things. Uh, one of the big things being other employment. It has been, in my experience, very difficult, if not impossible, really, for students to hold employment during our program because there's just not enough hours in the week for you to really be a worker on top of being a, a student and you know an on-site experiential learner. So. I think that's something to consider. Do you have the ability to really take a year off from whatever job or thing you may be pursuing at this point um, for income and really devote your time instead to being a student? The distance part of our program has been helpful in that a student could potentially live at home with their parents. Um, and that helps relieve, I think, some of that financial stress for the year. But we know that's not the case for everybody. You know, not everybody has that to fall back on. So, you know, that is something to consider. We've had student ex students right now in the program who they took a couple of years off after graduating from their bachelor's degree program to save money to pursue our degree. So it just it just depends, I guess, on what your outlook is in that way. But I think the biggest thing to consider is is time management. You know, you really will be devoting everything you've got for a year or two to the program. Yeah, definitely. I'm kind of glad that you highlighted, you know, just for the listeners to kind of see, hey, on, you know, on paper, it's like, boom, get everything done in one year. But maybe for some people, they can work with good time management or work under pressure, you know, just kind of work in that environment. But then for some people, like with what you said, maybe they need to wait it out, maybe they need to save up. And it really does depend on person to person. But that doesn't mean that, like, you're any less of a person or that, like, you know, just because one way doesn't work for you doesn't mean that another won't work for you. But yeah, I think it's great that you highlighted just kind of what students should look out for if they are applying to your program. And um, going more so into the actual application process for your program, first off, just kind of for listeners to know, you guys don't participate in DICAS, which is the traditional, you know, application system for dietetic internships. But um, for you guys, and you did mention how you don't need to have a DPD verification statement per se to apply to your program. So can you walk us through the different application steps for students depending on, this can be a pretty loaded question, but you know, just kind of depending on where they're coming from. Yeah, sure. So I also just wanna say, I don't mean to sound ominous, like our program is so hard, nobody should apply. I felt like it might come off that way. Um, it, uh, you know, we have a lot of fun and it's a great learning experience, but you're absolutely right. It's not for everybody. And and I would say if you're even thinking about it, you know, reach out. That's another way to know if the program is right for you is, is to meet with one of us, meet with a faculty member and talk through what you, you know, you think you want to do as a student, because a lot of times students, they do know themselves. They just need that time to talk it through with someone else to help them realize which program is going to be a best fit for them. So most students, when I meet with them after a couple of you know minutes, they're like, mm, I'm thinking this program is the right fit for me. Or, you know what, I think I need a part-time program where I can you know do this over a longer time frame. So anyway, 
in terms of how to apply. Right, that's a loaded question. <laughs> There's um okay, we'll start off with I don't want to say the easiest, but it's the, the fewest steps, I guess I should say, which would be a student that's coming from a program with a verification statement in hand. So you have a bachelor's degree in nutrition and or dietetics, and you've gotten a verification statement. You're going to go to our website. We have a link to our graduate application, and there is something called the application checklist there. Every student is going to want to look at the application checklist and has all the forms you're going to need to upload to our application system. But a student that has a verification statement, that's kind of where they're going to go, because as long as you have that, you qualify to apply um, as long as you have an overall undergraduate GPA of 3.0. So we do look at that. Um, but if you have that, you have your verification statement in hand, you're going to start at the application checklist. And from there, you're going to go through and make sure you have all of those forms filled out and you'll upload them to our system and submit your application. The important thing to think about, and I know you're going to ask me this question, so I'm not going to go into it in too much detail at this time, is that we do require you to have your preceptors pretty much set up at the time you apply. And so the forms that preceptors fill out are on that checklist. So that's where a student, you know, would kind of start. If you're a student that's coming in and you don't have a verification statement, so maybe you've completed a degree in something other than dietetics or, or maybe a related field, on our website, there's a how to apply tab. And under that are some drop down boxes based on the scenarios we're talking about right now. Do you have a verification statement or do you not? If you don't, there's a tab there you'll want to click and it lists all the prerequisites that we're going to require. For those of you that maybe are comparing various future education model programs, you're going to be a bit shocked maybe at the long list of prerequisites for our program. And there's a couple of reasons for that, but the, the biggest reason is we are condensed, right? We have that one-year format. So we need a student who is ready to go from the get-go in May when the program starts. And so by having a longer list of things that we need you to do up front, we know that you're going to be prepared and ready to go. So that is where I would start if you don't have that verification statement is looking through those prerequisites and they are listed currently as kind of topic areas and we have a link to some of our undergrad classes here so you can get an idea of the kind of courses that we would be looking for on a transcript, but it's not hard and fast that you have to have this exact class. It's really more, do you have knowledge on things like macro and micronutrient metabolism? Have you had a biochemistry class? You know, so, where I usually tell students to start is look at it, compare it to your transcripts, and then reach out to me. We can meet and have a conversation looking at your transcripts and see where things align. We might ask you to do some of that alignment before we meet so we can have a more fruitful conversation. Uh, and then we'll look through it together and see where you might still have gaps that exist. If you do have any gaps, we'll help you identify where you may be able to take those courses and satisfy those requirements before the program starts but you would have to have the prerequisites completed before you're eligible to enter the program. Most students, I would say, are usually, if you have a nutrition background, maybe you have a nutrition science degree or you know, in a related health field, most students are just gonna need the higher level nutrition classes. So they may have been missing like a medical nutrition therapy. And so we can try to help you find where you can you know, take that course. And students who are coming in with a degree in something like art, let's say, so you, you know you did something initially totally different than science and, and nutrition, we would probably have you start with the basic sciences and we could help you maybe locate those at a community college near you or maybe online for a community college to keep the cost down. Um, and you could kind of start from there and see if this is something you actually like before you, you know you pursue all of the classes. So I would say a student that doesn't have a verification statement that's coming from a related program maybe has like two or three semesters of prerequisites, you know, if you're doing a part-time to, to get to us. A student that has no background in science or nutrition, you might have a good, you know, year and a half, two years of prerequisites. So it's, it's, going to take a little bit longer, but our program is then shorter. So you have to kind of weigh those variables. You might find another future education model program where the list of prerequisites is shorter, 
but then the program itself is longer. So something for students to think about, you know, how you want to kind of spend your time, I guess, and, and your investment in your education. The um, student who would be coming to us, I guess the only other option I can think of is maybe an international student. An international student would have first important thing they need to do is consider if they are technically a permanent resident of the United States. So if by the time you're going to enter the program, you'll have a green card, for example, you'd be eligible to apply. If you will not, um, you have some sort of visa, you know, you're in the United States on a visa of some kind, we can put you in touch with our admissions office and you can talk to the international counselor to see very often, most visas do not qualify for entry into a distance program in the United States. So unfortunately, students that are maybe here from Canada on some sort of a visa, it is uh, very difficult to maintain a student visa in a distance program. And so you likely would not qualify for entry into the program unless you do become a permanent resident. If you're currently living outside of the United States, you don't qualify at all. So you do have to be here physically and you have to have that permanent resident status. Um, if that is you, you know, if you do have that status, we are still gonna really follow the same process that we would for a student then without a verification statement and that we're gonna look at your transcripts for prereqs. So there are a few internationally accredited bachelor's in dietetics programs. So if you have a verification statement from one of those, then you know, you're know you pretty set. But majority of students I talk to from, from international programs, you know, they don't have a verification statement. So we're doing kind of the same thing where we'd be going through your transcripts and looking at the prereqs and whether you've met them through your coursework or not. And whether you're international or not, if you don't have a verification statement and we're kind of doing that process of evaluating coursework, you want to be prepared to provide potentially course syllabi from any courses you've already taken, because we do want to get into that nitty gritty and make sure that you have the content that you would need. You know, some of the, the classes, you know, if you've taken a general chemistry class, I'm not going to need to see the syllabus because they're all pretty much the same. But if you've taken, you know, nutrition assessment, I might want to take a look at the syllabus to see, you know, did it include the physical exam? You know, that's a newer thing. Did it include mention of the nutrition care process and how to, you know, complete those steps? So that type of information might be required. And if you're international, you might need to work on getting syllabi translated as well as your transcript translated and evaluated. So reach out to us, you know, if you're in that category, we can help you figure out how to do that. But I think those are probably the three pathways. You have a verification statement, you don't have a verification statement or you're an international student. Yeah, and I really appreciate you kind of really dissecting and just having a see, okay, all of the different, what if this, what if that? And another thing too, just kind of commenting on the prereqs is, yeah, maybe a year and a half of prereqs sounds like a lot, but if you think about it, it's like, okay, a year and a half of prereqs or a four-year bachelor's degree. And so, and then again, you just have a one-year master's to program after that. So it's still, if you think about it, really just like one of the better options if you just want to do a quick career change. Not like, Again, it's not quick, but one of the faster career changes out there for dietetics, which is really great. And I'm glad that you... um kind of alluded to and mentioned that you guys pretty much want your students to have all of their um, preceptors pretty much like planned out and prepared for going up to applying for the program. And so what um, time frame would you recommend whenever it comes to students kind of securing preceptors and things like that? Could you kind of explain to the listeners like maybe what it might look like looking for preceptors and how that timeline aligns with the application? Sure. So the biggest advice I guess I could give to students is if you're looking for preceptors for our program, first off, let's make sure you're eligible to apply. I would hate for a student to go through the process of maybe reaching out to people on their own to be their preceptor, and then we'd come to find out they don't actually have all the prereqs. So first step, make sure you're eligible. <laughs> you know, that's really key. 
Um, second step, you know you're eligible, is going to be definitely reaching out to us. There are a few students every year who do find all their preceptors on their own, and I like to give them a gold star because that's impressive work, but it is absolutely fine and expected that you would reach out to the program and you'd meet with me most likely to talk through where do you live? Where do you want to live when you do the program? What preceptor connections do we already have in your area? And we can then maybe help you facilitate some of those conversations. Most students are going to be looking to apply to our program by February 15th. And so you want to really start securing preceptors in late summer, early fall, so that by the time that deadline comes around, you have the paperwork back from them that I mentioned earlier that you're going to want to submit with your application. The first preceptor that I tell students to really work on getting is your primary clinical preceptor. In our program, you need a person that's really going to work in a hospital or a large long-term care rehab setting that's going to be a registered dietitian and is gonna follow you through the majority of the program and be your mentor, be your guide. They're gonna be the person you'll be with most of the time, although they may delegate you, know, you to work with others in the facility. So that's the big person to get. And a lot of times that comes through, again, exploring connections that we might have in your local area already, or you know, us helping you narrow down choices from a list of people maybe you've already known or you already work with. So. You know, when you meet with me, I'm going to ask you questions about, you know, have you shadowed any dietitians? Does your, you know, sister work as a nurse at a hospital? Does she know a dietitian? You know, those types of connections can be really helpful to pursue, however small they may seem, um, to really find that primary clinical preceptor. So that's where we usually start. And then we can usually build the other rotations and the other experiences around where you're going to be for that primary clinical piece. So I would say most students want to work on, again, securing that primary clinical person by the end of, you know, I would say October, November is a good goal. Awesome. Yeah, and I had students, I've had students do it in January, okay? So it's totally, you know, possible to do it a few weeks beforehand and get it together. But if you're, if you're a planner, which most, most dietetic students are, yeah, <laughs> you're going to be thinking about doing it a little sooner. Yeah, and I was about to say, even with that, it's just kind of like, I mean, even for me, it's like, just if I have a due date, I will get said due date done. And I know that for some listeners, they will hear October, November, and they're like, October, November it is and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and I'm really glad that you encourage students that are interested in your program and want to apply and are eligible to apply to like reach out to you guys about finding sites because it's not because again it's like dismantling the notion with distance programs where it's like oh everything's on your own good luck we'll see you in a year and it's like yeah yeah yeah. and so it's like it is expected for you to reach out and to get help in securing sites because we're like all you know 20 some odd year olds that you know we're not dietitians yet so we don't know every dietitian on in our area and stuff so it's like definitely leveraging, you know, a program that you're paying money, like you're hopefully paying money to go to and, you know, just having them help you be the best that you can during the program, which, yeah, I just really wanted to highlight that and how, you know, you're not on your own in the distance program, which every distance program that I've interviewed, it's like, they say, yeah, we help you find your sites. And, you know, it's just kind of like, I just still hear my peers and stuff kind of still gravitating towards on-site programs strictly because they feel like that's the only amount of security that they'll have with finding sites. But yeah, I just wanted to note that because it is really important to know about distance programs. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I I agree. And I also just want to add, we cannot accommodate every student's desires on where their placements want to be. And we don't technically place students, right? So I'm happy to help Put you in touch with preceptors we've used before, but a student is still going to have to reach out and meet with that preceptor. And that preceptor is essentially, you know, they're interviewing the student to see, is this going to be a good fit for us? Because they're going to be working with you for a lot, lot of that time. And so, you know, just us providing contacts to a student doesn't mean that those preceptors are required to take that student, do they? 
Yeah, usually, <laughs> because they're usually pretty secure in knowing that if we're sending a student their way, we're feeling pretty good about them, you know, in terms of being a good, a good on-site learner. But, you know, it will, it does require a little bit more work, absolutely, than, you know, a programmer, they're going to place you in all of your sites. But you also then have some ownership over your experiences, which I think is really a great thing. It allows you to tailor it maybe to not only geographic location, but to people you feel good about being with because you've met them before. Um, and also it allows the student to get really more familiar with those interpersonal skills that we find make them a success in the program. You know, those communication skills, whether it be sending that email, following up with phone calls, meeting a person on Zoom or in person, those are those are stand apart skills often for students. If you can nail those down, they really help in a program. And so that's something that you'll get practice with as part of the application. Um, and we do, you know, even when we were an MSDI program, we had sites across the United States. But a majority of the locations that we have available to students are in the Northeast and in New York State. But we're happy to work with anyone new. So if we don't have any contacts in your area, the school and our program is more than willing to work out, you know, contracts with new people and new facilities. So we can help you pursue those as well. But we had a student this past year that really wanted to move to Hawaii to do the program. So maybe that's a good example of that would be awesome. And I would love to accommodate that, but we don't have any contacts in Hawaii yet. So maybe that student will move there and become a preceptor for us, but um, we'll do our best to help you if we're able. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm really glad that, you know, it's dismantling past notions that a lot of students have, but it's also like, you know, it's not going to be sunshine. It's not, a distance program is still not the same as an on-site program. Like there's, you know, there's still a blatant difference, but again, you do have support during that process as well. And one thing as well that like, your program does that's incredibly that I found incredibly unique, especially regarding that online distance format is that you guys still kind of, you know, we get that reminder of like, yeah, this is a master's degree and you guys incorporate research, which is super like in especially like in a one year program, that's super exciting. And so could you um, kind of describe how your program incorporates research into that online distance format? Yes. So as part of the program, we have called Community Health Intervention Project. Uh, we call it the CHIP. And this project is incorporated into one class over the three semesters that you will take. So one of the four classes you're enrolled in as a graduate student each semester is tailored towards this research component, this CHIP project. And it really is the opportunity for a student to tailor our program to their unique interests. So as part of the application, you'll locate a CHIP preceptor. This is a person in your community who you are interested in doing some sort of research project with. It could be something, um, it's very wide open, I guess is, is what I wanna say. So the preceptor for the project does not need to be a dietitian. We've had a variety of, of individuals from a variety of different backgrounds who've been preceptors for that project. Have we had dietitians do it? Absolutely, but it's not a requirement. And really what you're doing as a student is identifying an agency that you are have an interest in. So I've had students do it with sports teams and athletic directors. I've had students do it with uh, classroom teachers or principals of schools, directors of YMCA programs, bariatric center directors or dietitians, an eating disorder clinic and dietitian. You know, I it, it can be really anything that you are interested in, I'm gonna guess we can probably tailor the project to. Um, and essentially it is a year long research-based master's project. So instead of writing a thesis, you're gonna be completing a needs assessment and an intervention and analyzing outcomes from a project that you design and implement in an onsite agency. And from that, you will write by the end of the program, really more of a research manuscript, which is if you get the journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics or you've looked at any peer reviewed journal, that's a manuscript. So by the end of the program, you really have practiced writing a research paper. 
um, that could potentially be published. And you also have a research poster. And many of our students have presented at the State uh, Dietetic Association Conference, their, their posters. And so in the summer semester, the course you know that you start off with is research methods. And you really just learn about different types of research and you learn about the agency you've selected. So you're talking with your preceptor to learn about the population and get an idea of what you know they do at that site. And then in the um, fall semester, you conduct your needs assessment. So what is the needs of this population or this agency that I'm interested in working with? So you don't have to have the project identified when you apply. You just have to know where you want to do it. Because really, as part of this assessment of the population, you're going to determine what are you know, the needs that I can meet through my project. And so you'll identify those. And then in the fall, once you've identified what the needs are, you'll come up with what your project's going to be, what your intervention will look like. For a lot of students, it's in some sort of educational piece. So maybe you're creating trainings or you're creating, you know, some sort of on-site presentations you're going to be giving to the population over the course of a few weeks. And then in the spring semester, you take a course where you'll actually implement your intervention and you'll be writing up, you know, your, your pieces of your project as you go through. So uh, Dr. Emily Riddle, is the instructor for all of the research courses in our program. She's a graduate of Cornell University, PhD program, and she's an amazing resource for our students. And I have no doubt that if anybody has questions about the research component, that she would be willing to sit and chat with you and answer you know, any concerns or questions you have. But I think the biggest thing to consider is we walk you through all the steps of, of that research project it's something that's applicable to you as a dietitian once you graduate, because hopefully maybe in your job, you might want to do some research and you might want to publish. And so you'll have those skills and it allows you to have a piece of the program that is yours, that you decided on what it was. And you're going to spend a lot of time working with that agency and that preceptor. And so, you know, if you have an interest in eating disorders and you know that, or you have an interest in sports nutrition, you could tailor your project to that. I think it's so great how your program, again, because with it being one year, a lot of people think, oh, like, you know, I'm not going to be able to get that in-depth research experience, or I'm not going to get that exposure that a traditional master's degree will get. But what's great is your program doesn't blindside that. You guys still put research at the forefront, because again, like only two or three percent of dietitians have PhDs or, you know, even like, and just think of how little also participate in research. But again, it's great how your program gives students that opportunity to really explore an area that they're interested or maybe figure out or find an area to find interest in and things like that. And kind of segueing as well just into the amount of exposure that you give your students into just one year period. Um, you have sites ranging from places such as School Food Service, Office of, Office of Aging, Long-Term Care, WIC, Pediatrics, Critical Care, Renal, and like the list literally goes on on your website, which is incredible. And so for, you know, for a student seeing this, you know, they can maybe think two things. One being like, oh my gosh, this is so much great experience I'll be able to get. But then another thing too is like, how am I going to find, you know, preceptors or like, you know, just thinking of all of the coordination that you're going to have to um, determine for being able to fulfill all those requirements. And so just thinking from a numerical standpoint of just uh, the preceptors or the people that you'll have during the program to help you fulfill these rotation requirements. Do you know like the number for, um, exactly of what the minimal number of pre preceptors students should have to fulfill all of these rotations? Yeah, good question. I would say most students are going to have six or seven preceptors, and um, I can go through and list what those are if that's helpful. Um, Absolutely. Okay, sure. So uh, the one is, of course, primary clinical preceptor, like we talked about earlier. That's the, the big one, the person that's going to be with you throughout the majority of the program. Usually they're at a hospital site. We look for, you know, a pretty significant uh, number of beds. It doesn't need to be huge, but it needs to have usually 75 to 100 bed hospital is the minimum that we're looking at for, for that person to be at. If you are in a, in a long-term care or large rehab, we usually can make that work as well. The secondary preceptor is a person that works with the 
primary preceptor. So they'd be at the same hospital or the same long-term care rehab site. And they are another person that you'll work with, but they are essentially your backup plan. So, you know, if you have a primary preceptor who for some reason, you know, maybe they're out on maternity leave, or maybe they take a job somewhere else before the program starts, this secondary person is hopefully still there and able to step in into that role. So it's really just ins insurance policy for students to have the secondary. And I would say 90% of the time, the primary preceptor, you know, chooses the secondary preceptor for the student says, you know, oh, you know, Josh, he's been here. He's another dietitian that works with me. And so, you know, he's going to sign off as your secondary in case I'm not here. So that's not usually a huge lift for the student after they find the primary. The other one that usually comes hand in hand with the primary is the food service preceptor because most of our students do their food service rotation at the hospital or clinical site that they're at with their primary preceptor. And again, usually the primary introduces them to whoever the food service director is there and that person signs off to oversee food service. So there's kind of three that you might get right off the bat at the same site. All right, the other ones are community-based. So uh, the other that we've already talked about is the CHIP preceptor. So again, that doesn't have to be a dietitian, pretty wide open and just needs to be a person in place you're interested in doing that project with. The person who is your preceptor for that as well doesn't need to have any background in research. It's helpful at times if that's the case, but it doesn't have to be. We will orient the preceptors and help them through that process as well. And they're never you know, grading any of your work in terms of your research. They're giving us feedback on how you're doing, but, you know, Dr. Riddle's going to review everybody's research project and she's going to make sure that it's, you know, what we're looking for. So no worries there if they're not somebody who's done research extensively. And then we have our three community sites. So in the spring, you rotate through three community rotations, and that is your long-term care facility. So any nursing home really can work for that. They seem to be plentiful in the number that usually are in a community. So it's just finding a dietitian. And again, we tend to have you know, some relationships in that regard. And then the other two sites would be Office for Aging, as you mentioned, and our WIC locations, which most counties have a few WIC locations and usually one Office for Aging. And so we can help put you in touch with your local county office to find who the dietitian or, or nutritionist in the case of WIC is that you could work with for those. So similar to, as I mentioned with the primary, we can work with you in your geographic area to locate those other, other preceptors as well. But those are typically the ones that you need to have forms from when you apply. We've accepted students who don't have all of them set at the time they apply, but it is critical that a student has their primary preceptor, their food service, and their chip preceptor set when they apply to our program, because those three are, make up the majority of the 1100 and some hours in the program. So we want to make sure that you're, you have most of them and you have leads on finding the others. But, you know, sometimes the student's missing their WIC preceptor. Am I going to not accept the student for missing a 32-hour rotation? No, <laughs> that's crazy. So we'll, we'll work with you, but, you know, Getting that, that primary clinical site is definitely, definitely the first key. In some cases, a student may need up to 10 preceptors because it really will depend on your site. You have a couple of other options to rotate through specialties, renal and pediatrics. And in some hospitals, there is no dietitian who feels comfortable covering that type of specialty, or maybe the hospital doesn't have those specialties. And so we might have to help you locate a private practice dietitian that maybe specializes in pediatrics or maybe a dialysis center where we could have you go and work with a renal dietitian. So we can help you work through if you need to go elsewhere for some of those smaller specialties. Um, and the other one is school food service. We don't any longer require school food service as part of the program. We used to have it in the spring when you were in your food service rotation, it was an optional um, kind of an addition to the program that we, we've continued, but uh, it really, I would say still 80% of the students probably pursue it. Most of them go to their high school, local high school, and have, you know, an experience there, but it's not a requirement to apply. Awesome. Yeah, and I really do appreciate you kind of really just 
you know, spelling out all the different types of preceptors that students need, because like, as you were talking it out, it's like, it's literally a domino effect, really. Like once you secure that primary preceptor, first off, you get the confidence of like, oh, heck yeah, I just got a preceptor. I'm on top of the world right now. But then also, you know, they, once you just secure that one, it's really just, hey, they, you know, secondary preceptor. And then, you know, foods, it just kind of like builds on top of each other, which is really great. And, you know, just kind of Alleviate, can help alleviate some stress for some people whenever they see oh I need six to seven preceptors and you, right. like that might seem really daunting and stuff but yeah yeah and I would say too just in terms of preceptors you know our program works in that in the summer so we start in the summer you enter the program in May there's a 10-week summer semester and that is really an introduction to patient care so basic nutrition assessment you know you're getting your your early stages of learning how to be a dietitian kind of under your belt. And so sometimes that happens at, you know, that clinical facility. And sometimes students decide for the summer that they want to work with an outpatient dietitian or a private practice dietitian. In the summer, we have a pretty good amount of flexibility. If you prefer to do your summer semester, those 10 weeks in a different setting than a hospital or a large, you know, long-term care rehab, that's fine. And we would just have you then, you have a separate primary for summer, and then in the fall, you'll go to your clinical facility. So fall definitely has to be in clinical, but summer is a little bit more flexible. And some students, I would say, I probably have like 30% of my students right now this summer who are in private practice or in an outpatient setting for the summer, and then they'll go to their hospital in the fall. And that that's fine too, because you know some students, Maybe their clinical site can't have them in the summer. You know, a lot of people take vacations and things like that. Um, but also we have a lot of students that want to see what it's like to be a private practice or an outpatient dietitian. So that gives you opportunity for that as well. Yeah, and I really think it's great how you guys really do just err on the side of, hey, what's best for the student? What does the student want? What are their goals? You know, you really do kind of put the student first whenever it comes to deciding what they do during your program, which is really great. And you've already mentioned how you do support your students throughout the process, even before applying. Like you help, you you want to see if, it, if they can apply, if they're eligible to apply. You want to help them find sites and you want them to choose the sites that they, the types of sites that they want to do. Again, like within, again, we, it is still an accredited program. So there are certain, you know, as long as they check the boxes from the ascend yeah. gods and stuff, but um uh, again, you guys do just support your students a lot, but um, are there any other ways or any other facets that your program does support students? Because again, you've mentioned it and sprinkled it a lot throughout this episode, but just are there other things that you want to spell out regarding support? Sure. I would say, you know, this program has been an online distance program for over 20 years now. You know, it started as just a distance dietetic internship program, and it's really grown from there. So the college itself has really put into place many supports for online learners, and we're always willing to work with a student who might need, you know, any sort of academic support. We have an excellent IT department. So with an online program, there's bound to be some technology issues, and we understand that. So we have a wonderful um, set of, of individuals here who are available to our students and, and our preceptors as well, since they're often using our technology too, um, to help you know, work through and troubleshoot any, any problems. Our library services are wonderful. We have a, a librarian specific to our discipline who's able to also add additional help for students through that research project. Um, and you have access to everything an on-campus student you know, would have access to other than the physical library building itself. And in terms of, you know, down to the program, the program director and all the faculty, including myself, teach courses in the program. So, you know, there's not just, you know, this director person who you might see at orientation, that person's going to be your instructor in your classes. And we're all going to have office hours where we will meet with students. Um, we all, I would say, give out our cell phone numbers for texting, you know, those last minute questions or emergencies. I think one of the biggest supports that probably students, you know, alumni of our program talk about is other students in the program. And, and as an alumni of the program, I speak to that, I think, 
there is a real sense of community in our program. I don't know if it's because it is a cohort where you start in May and you're in this one year journey all together and then you graduate um, and you're kind of on this wild ride together where everyone's looked like stressed but excited and learning and growing and at the same time together. But, you know, it's kind of evolved over the years what technology students use to keep in touch with each other. Lately, I think it's probably just one large group message. <laughs> But they, I think, support each other more than they maybe realize until they're done with the program. And I've always really thought that was super valuable because as a distance program, I think sometimes people get it in their heads that you're going to feel really separated from the other students and you're not going to have that interaction that you might have if all 10 of you are on the site, you know, at the same place every day. But you'd be surprised how close you can get to students in your online classes when you're all going through the same things, even at different locations. So I think there's a real sense of community in the program, you know, among the faculty, but also among the students. That's really great. Yeah. And what's really nice is like, it's, it's not like a support from the top down. It's like support from, you know, side to side. Uh, it's just support from everywhere, which is really great. And you were mentioning how some students don't realize the support that they have until maybe like after they graduate, we're like in hindsight and things like that. And then that, you know, kind of just makes me think of, yeah, so like after students go through your program and like after they graduate, you hit on so many different Depart departments and dietetics, if you could say it that way, you know, like old age, renal, like critical care, things like that. And so are there common like career, like not because again, everyone comes out as a dietitian, but like, are there common places or types of dietitian jobs that students gravitate towards after graduation? Or like, could you lift off some examples? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think it's evolved a little bit over my time in the program, because I would say when I first started, there was maybe like 50% of our students were graduating and getting jobs in long-term care. That seemed to be really popular for a while. And I think it's probably a really nice starting point for a lot of new dietitians. And now I would say it's really quite varied. I mean, you always have a significant amount of students who go into clinical, you know, inpatient because they really are not sure what they want to do. And that's a really good, you know, even after you're, you're done with your, your experiential learning, you still, you might not exactly know what your whole career in dietetics is going to be. I'm still figuring mine out. So, <laughs> you know what, that's totally cool. And, and you can use those first few years to try out a bunch of different things. So I would say, you know, a handful definitely still go into the, the clinical inpatient route, but in the past few years, increasingly more so we've had students creating their own businesses. So um, we had a student that created their own, they were a personal trainer as well. So they created their own private practice personal training business and they actually created their own app, which is really cool. And it like gives their patients a way to like log their food and also gives them like weekly meal plans and things like that. Uh, we have a student who owns a telehealth uh, nutrition consultation business that's, you know, throughout the country now. So, and she's actually hired recently, at least two of our, our recent grads that I know of. So uh, those are always great connections. I would say the majority of our students do end up working at a site that they've recently rotated through uh, because usually our preceptors snap, you know, of a student as a worker if they're you know if they've had a good experience that they can and usually when I check back in with students later on they have maybe gone on to pursue a credential and maybe a specialty in pediatrics or renal or you know even the the sports dietetics credential but I would say right off the get-go those types of jobs aren't usually available to students who've only done you know a short rotation through those specialties usually you need some some time under your belt before you're going to get into into any of those. So even though we have those rotations in our program, they're shorter and it's really more of an exposure, you know, getting you, you know, to see what a renal dietitian does or a pediatric dietitian. It's not preparing you to go out and be a renal dietitian yet. You know, you'll still need some, some time under your belt before you're going to be able to do that. But yeah, I think, you know, more and more entrepreneurs coming out of our program, that's for sure, which is awesome. 
Yeah, that sounds super exciting. And it really does show like sky's the limit with your program, you know, like you, you give them so much exposure that, you know, even after they get out again, like even though they get that renal exposure, it doesn't mean they're going to become a renal dietitian. And it might not mean that they, and if anything, that exposure might let them know, Hey, I don't want to be a renal dietitian, you know? So it's just kind of like, it works both ways for sure. Yeah. I was just um, reading. So kind of submit like a, a journal throughout our program every couple of weeks you'll write a little entry to me so I know how are things going with you and I just was reading them uh, this morning and uh, one of our students is working with um, an alumni of our program who has a telehealth business and has recently worked with a lot of patients with eating disorders and she said you know I, I didn't think that was an area of interest but now I'm thinking this actually might be what I want to do and I'm, that's so cool you know really great and then on the flip side of that I have a student who's in uh, long-term care facility this this summer and they wrote to me and said I definitely know I don't want to do this and I said that's equally important to know that that is not what you want to do so that's okay <laughs> yeah mm-hmm, definitely but, and, and it, mm-hmm, yeah and it, like it's a great assurance too because you know instead of because like for example like say that you go into a program that like doesn't give you exposure to a certain avenue of dietetics. And then, you know, afterwards it's kind of like, Oh, but what if, you know, you kind of get what ifs and stuff, but if you get exposure and you see it and you're like, definitely no, it's like, you kind of get that, you know, you feel better knowing that you saw firsthand, this is something that I don't want to do. And then, you know, it's like, okay, moving on to the next. So that's a really just great. Yeah. It's a great opportunity. And I always tell our students, you know, when they do write to me, I, this is not definitely what I don't want to do. I say, you know, that's great to know. It's really helpful, but make sure it's not one patient or one preceptor experience that's making you write it off because sometimes you have like a really bad day, maybe a bad week. And we're like, I don't want to be, you know, in long-term care because of this reason. And that may not be the case at a different facility or, you know, in, in a different patient interaction. So sometimes have to give things a little bit of a second chance but I think at the end of 10 or 15 weeks you know those are our semesters people have a pretty good idea (laughs) if that's what they if that's their calling or not I guess yeah definitely and I think just from what you've been saying there's a lot of things that students probably enjoy about your program I mean one for sure is probably the autonomy flexibility and being able to just kind of explore different areas that they're interested in but I mean you mentioned kind of how you read journal entries and you know you kind of hear from students and stuff are there common things that you've seen with that about uh seeing what students typically like about your program like things that have stuck out yeah that's a great great question and we have our incoming class every year meet with our recent graduates so they graduate mid-May and then the next class starts in two weeks. So they're very recent graduates of the program that meet with our, our incoming group. And uh, they usually share with me some of the things if they meet privately with them to kind of chat, you know, but they talk a little bit with me about, you know, what they their experiences are. And we always have an end of the program survey where we talk about, you know, what what were your best experiences. And a lot of students will say the research project is their best experience in the program, or, you know, they might call out a specific preceptor uh, experience that was really valuable to them. I think overall, it's probably the the relationships that they build as part of the program. Most students are really uh, appreciative of that, whether it be, you know, with their preceptors, you know, certainly with other students in the program, but I think because you're completing the program in an area that you've selected, that is probably an area geographically that you are hoping to maybe work in the future, the relationships that you've created with preceptors in the program is extremely valuable in your future job employment in that area. You know, we have a 100% job placement rate It's within six months. It's probably even less than that. Most students are graduating they already have job offers from from the preceptors or from a person that heard about them from their preceptor. So I think the relationships are really um, something that students would say are one of the you know, most valuable things that you get from the program. And uh, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think about you know, when I graduated as a student, I would say, you know, you're right, the variety of experiences as well. You know, when you graduate, you don't have to 
you know, just, just do one thing. It opens your eyes that there are many, many ways to be a dietitian. It's not sitting, you know, just in that hospital umbrella anymore. There's so many different ways to be a dietitian. So I think that's important. Yeah, and that's super exciting too, just all the different opportunities and stuff. And so I'm and I'm glad that you brought up like, you know, you thinking, okay, well, what was my favorite part, you know, whenever you did the program? But now that you're in the shoes of being an assistant director and kind of helping run the program, what would you say now on that with that different lens, your favorite thing is about the program and your current position? Oh, I'm sure all the program directors say it's the students, right? <laughs> yeah. I know I don't want to be a broken record, but yeah, they make it all worth it as a teacher. I'm sure any teacher probably if they're asked why they do their job is the students. And yeah, I mean, they just, they make it the best. I was reading a student journal today and I'm sure the student in particular would not mind me sharing this with you, but the student made a comment in their journal, something about you know, they made an, an analogy between bread and butter and like spreading their butter across multiple slices of bread or something like that. And I'm just, I was laughing so hard because I thought only a dietetic student is going to write an analogy about bread and butter, <laughs> you know, food related to how they're currently feeling in their experience. And it, you know, it made my whole day that I read that. So you know, those little moments of interaction with students, seeing where students go after graduation. I mean, we have this, this recent grad who's now a preceptor in our program. She's hired a ton of our students, you know, into her, her business as well. I mean, that's just, it's awesome to see people taking the education that we were able to provide and just, you know, expanding upon that with their own grit and determination to do what they wanted to do with dietetics. I think it's awesome. So I'm just happy to be a part of their future, whatever they choose to do. Yeah. And I love how, again, even with distance and online, you still feel connected to the students and the students still feel connected to you and they still feel connected to your program, even after they graduate with, you know, like hiring, you know, being a preceptor in their own program and hiring other people who did the program like it's it's really just a big community which is really really great and I don't want to again I don't want to take up because this has just been such a great um just episode kind of talking about your program and also just like learning about the different avenues of dietetics and hopefully opening up you know listeners eyes to just different ways they can go to become a dietitian and that it's not like one distinct path but um with 2024 for sure like that's just kind of looming over a lot of students heads with the master's degree requirement you know and I that opens the can of worms of just like different types of programs then it's like figuring out the new application process where a lot of people are moving away from diecast but then you have programs being added to diecast like you know it's just a very wishy-washy time for some students and so would you give any advice to students like me and like students like the listeners that are preparing to apply for these supervised practice programs and such a like transitional period like now? Yeah, great question again, Jenna. <laughs> I feel like there's so many things I could say. I would I would tell every student to really delve into the websites of the programs that they're interested in applying to. You know, if we're we're all assigned accredited, we all have to have certain information on our website. And so most websites are extremely comprehensive. And I would say majority of student questions can be answered there. That doesn't mean not to reach out, absolutely. But as you're doing your general information gathering about the different types of programs and what's out there, websites are probably gonna be a great place to start signing up for information sessions. We post ours on our website. I'm sure other programs do that as well. We have a link where you can complete, you know, a informational page about yourself and submit that to us. So you get our emails and information about our program throughout the year. You know, looking for those types of things on program websites, I think is important as you're as you're making your comparison. Understanding what programs you're actually eligible to apply for is key when you're first kind of starting out and thinking about what your pathway is going to be. And then, I guess so. We're kind of talking about is it kind of really like comparing programs? Is that what you're thinking? Like, how would a student compare these programs and choose? Oh yeah, and like really just kind of. Mm-hmm, yeah, definitely, and kind because I feel like with all there's so many different. It's like 
a decision paralysis, you know, where it's yes. just kind of like, there's so it's many different many things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, so thinking about what matters most to you in your program is important. Is it, you know, you need to be able to work. So, you know, our program might be off the table for you. Is it you want to be done in a year? And so, you know, you want to look then at maybe comparing, you know, what types of supports a program has, what the curriculum is, you know, we didn't really talk about what classes we have there on our website. You can certainly go there and look, but every program might have a little bit different curriculum and classes, you know, because you are earning a graduate degree, you know, at the same time. So some graduate degrees might be a little bit different. So you want to kind of look at what that's going to, what that's going to entail, you know, when you're comparing these programs. And then I got to be quite honest, I, I know this might sound old fashioned, but I really think students should look at the cost because I mean, yes, you should pursue your dream. I'm a hundred percent behind you. You know, you should do the program that you feel is best for you, but don't ignore how much they cost because the cost is not always equivalent to the education you're receiving. And that's unfortunate, but that is the truth. You know, sometimes a program is going to cost more because, you know, it, that's just the way of the world. Some programs cost more than others, but that doesn't mean that that program is better than another. Um, you know, we're all held to the same accreditation standards. So we're all supposed to be doing the same thing. So don't let cost, you know, equal quality, I would say, and really attention to cost as well. You know, we're required to put the cost of the program on our website, but sometimes it can be confusing because maybe it's listed by semester not by the entirety of the program. Uh, maybe there's fees that aren't necessarily listed on there that should be. I think ours is pretty comprehensive, but that's important. What financial aid is offered? You know, because our program's full-time, you usually can fill out a FAFSA and qualify for some, some aid as long as you haven't exhausted your aid at the undergrad level. Um, if you're doing a part-time program, and maybe it's not housed in a university of some kind, you know, your eligibility for aid's gonna be a little bit different. And so thinking about cost, I think, you know, is important. Shouldn't be the only thing you look at, but it's important to look at for sure. And especially when you're thinking about crossing state lines. So, you know, distance programs, you know, if you're not a resident of the state that you're completing a, a program in, the cost might elevate. Ours, I think, is very reasonable even for an out-of-state student because being fully online, New York State caps tuition at a certain rate, even for, for online learners. So it's very reasonable, I think. But, you know, you get, you get elsewhere, you get into private institutions, that could be different. So take a look at cost. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that I mean, honestly, that's just a great thing to highlight, especially with this last question, just because, I mean, and absolutely, we hear so many, because this is a question that I ask a lot of the directors, and, you know, some of them, they just do more abstract, just, you know, kind of more abstract things, or just like, hey, like, make sure, something with applications, some are more technical, but then, I mean, with yours, it's just straight, like, one that's typically not discussed, where it's like, hey, pay attention to nuances, or like, you know, pay attention to websites, or like, read the fine print, things like that, because money especially with the master's degree requirement, it's only going to get more expensive to become a dietitian, sadly. And so it really is. Yeah. It's a, it's something to definitely think about. You know, I have students that are going to consider going and completing, you know, the internship separately and then going to do the master's degree. And I totally get that, you know, students, that might be what works best for you, but you know, it's an internship, they, they're not free, you know, you're providing labor for sure, but um, you're going to have to pay for that. And, you know, you might not be getting any, any credits, you know, any college credits for that. You're getting the hours. Um, and then you're going to have to go pay for a master's degree on top of that to sit to take the exam. So, you know, it can get costly, that's for sure. And, and thinking about, again, those prerequisites, as I mentioned, you know, that's a cost too. And when you're looking at program websites and for future education models, you're looking at maybe what the prereqs are for a student that's not from a dietetics background, make sure you're looking at what hidden prerequisites might exist. So unfortunately, I've seen a few websites where a program's listing, 
you know, they have five prerequisites, biochemistry, medical nutrition therapy, et cetera. Well, you're not going to be able to take a biochemistry class until you've taken general chemistry and organic chemistry. So yes, it looks good. I just got to take five classes, but you're really, you know, you have at least two more that I would say you're going to need to take before you can get into biochem, right? So be sure you're thinking about, you know, are there kind of maybe hidden prereqs under some of those that are on the websites? Uh, because those are additional costs too, to kind of think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't think I've done that on my website. <laughs> we have them all listed there, but. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it's just like, you know, a great thing to end on where it's like, do some deep, do some digging. If you're, you know, like if you're really interested in a program, do some deep digging before you actually just dive head first into applying and things like that. Cause again, like there's nuances everywhere, but yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Martin for talking about, again, just like ending on great advice, but again, just like throughout the entire episode, just talking about SUNY Oneana's amazing, you know, opportunity to save money by cranking it out all in one year and just kind of getting into the field as soon as possible and just helping reduce the barrier of entry to becoming a dietitian. But yeah, just so many great stuff in this episode. And just thank you so much for just sharing your knowledge, but also sharing knowledge about your program. It's yeah, it was really great. Awesome. No problem. I'm happy to be here and I hope everybody's excited to be a, a dietitian because it really is great. And I didn't mention this, but don't forget about academics. You know, that's an avenue for dietitians too. We would love to have more dietitians come, you know, teach. Uh, we could use you, you know, now that you have a master's degree, it's not that much more to get a doctorate degree. Thinking about it, um, you know, teaching is awesome too, so. Yeah, and you highlighted that too, with just like what you love about the program and stuff as well. But yeah, just so many, so many great plugs because also just, I, again, with higher education comes with higher pay and come, you know, and it's just, yeah. there's yeah. a whole lot of benefits to it and stuff as well. But yeah, just again, thank you for the wealth of knowledge and all of the awesome, well, okay. you know. Happy yeah, to do it. Appreciate the invite. Of course.